we continue in chapter 2. Last week I was honored to get to preach Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 12. In these two verses we covered last week, we see that the first thing that Paul wants his listeners to remember is echoing the reminder he gave in the first part of the chapter, in verse 1 through 3. And that is who they are apart from Christ. Now here Paul adds a second layer in verse 11 and 12 of their alienation due to the fact that they were Gentiles, meaning they were not Jews. They were not a part of God's old covenant chosen people. Being a Gentile simply means they were not Jews. As Christians, we celebrate the beautiful words that Paul goes to next. He's just finished in verse 11 and 12, reminding us of who we were in our sin, apart from Christ, in our flesh, and this added layer that he brings in the second part of the chapter here, that they were also separated because they were Gentiles. And again, we see these beautiful words, but God, but God. Paul moves from the bad news to the good news, just as he did in the the first part of the chapter. Uh, The bad news was we were dead in our sin. The good news is how God saves undeserving sinners by His amazing grace through the atoning work of Christ on our behalf. As we turn today to Ephesians 2.13, Again, I want to direct you to notice that Paul makes the same transition in the second half of the chapter. moves from the bad news, again, that we covered last week in verse 11 and 12, our condition apart from Christ, to the good news of the gospel, of God's saving grace made possible in the blood of Christ on our behalf, as we will see today in verse 13 and then beyond. It is here that we see that God is not only raised us from spiritual death due our sin, but reverses our spiritual alienation by bringing us near, like no other gospel can do. For those who have repented of their sin, trusted their lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we were dead in sin, And now we're alive in Christ. We were once far off, and now we have been brought near in Christ. This is truly the good news of good news. And I pray it utterly changes your life today by the power of God. Before we go to the text, will you go to prayer with me? Father, we come humble grateful for all that you are all that you are worthy of all that you have done all that you continue to do you are worthy to be praised we thank you for the gospel of jesus christ we thank you for pardon and forgiveness of sin thank you for the blood of jesus spilled out in our place 
God, we are desperate for you to give ears to hear and eyes to see. Do your work in the deepest places of our hearts. Let no man, no woman, go untouched by your love and grace that literally transforms lives. For anyone feeling stuck, anyone feeling trapped, anyone feeling without hope, without healing, God, do your mighty work in their lives. You alone, as Rob prayed earlier, are our essential need. Help us to see the depth of our sin so that it breaks us into utter dependence on You alone. Help us to see and savor the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf as we move into this precious Holy Week remembrance of what He has done so that our lives would truly, as a result, be dead to self and all to Christ. For your glory, we prioritize this time this morning in your holy word. Do your work in and through us, God. We are so overwhelmed to be yours. May that be the posture of the Christian who starts this sermon saved by grace and be the posture of the sinner who finishes this sermon saved by grace and rejoices in belonging to Christ. For your glory, do your work in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There are two layers here we see right out the gate of being far off. Paul is specifically referring to what we really just covered in the last two verses, in verse 11 and 12, the separation we studied last week. Paul says in verse 11 that they were Gentiles in the flesh. As I review these things, it's important that you realize these two layers of separation apply to us too when we were apart from Christ. First, they were far off because they were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. As we studied last week, as we see in verse 12, the Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. There was a special relationship God had with ethnic Israel and anyone who fulfilled the requirements of the Old Covenant. But those who were Gentiles, who were non-Jews, were not concerned with the things of God and the covenants He made, in many ways because they didn't know about it but in other ways because they were heathens who didn't care. As a result, they missed out on the horizontal blessings God made available in the Old Covenant. Second, they were far off because they were Gentiles in the flesh. 
meaning they were separated because of sin. To be in the flesh instead of in Christ is to be in sin, which means we are rightly separated from the holy God. Isaiah 59.2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Earlier in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it, it tells us all who are in the flesh and how we are rightly defined. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In our sin, we have betrayed the holy God. We've pursued our own way, our own glory. This is sin. What is sin? According to the Word of Truth Catechism, sin is, the, is disobeying God. Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. It is turning from God's ways to our own ways. Who has sinned against God? Isaiah says all. Everyone. Paul later says all as well. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The world we live in, and even many religious people, have diminished the significance of sin. We're guilty of making light of sin, and when we do this, we make light of our absolute need for a Savior. Please understand with me the weight and the magnitude of our sin. That sin, even the smallest sin, is cosmic treason against the Holy God. Meaning even the slightest sin the creature commits against the Creator does violence to all that is due to the Creator's holiness and glory and righteousness, perfection. Every sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an act of rebellion against the sovereign God who reigns and rules over us. Additionally, we must understand that our sin earns us death. <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We earn death because of our sin. Every one of us is worthy of eternal punishment for our betrayal of the holy and eternal God. The Word of God is deadly serious when it comes to what will be done with those who stay in their sin before God. We must do business with our sin because spiritual death is not a momentary experience like physical death, the first death. It is an eternal experience of unimaginable fare. Consider the words of Revelation 21 verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And later in verse 27, Revelation 21, 27 Nothing unclean will ever enter it, 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We earn eternal death because of sin. We will not know eternal life with God unless our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, unless the Savior has paid for our sins in our place. This is a sobering reality. The most sobering news one could ever truly come to understand. For all who are in the flesh, who are guilty of sin, who are rightly separated from God, Paul says in the end of verse 12, have no hope and are without God in the world. Church, we must see the depth of mankind's separation from God in sin. All who are apart from Christ are guilty, enslaved, and deserving of God's eternal wrath. They are without hope for anything good or lasting. For life with God, the greatest thing we could ever know. There's no hope, no relationship. This is the damned and deplorable condition of fallen man. So when Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off has the same two layers that Paul just mentioned in verse 11 and 12. They were not of the old covenant people of God, ethnic Israel, because they were Gentiles. Gentiles, there was a a form of separation, of alienation because of that. Second, they were separated from God without hope because of their being in the flesh. But there is good news. For once again, Paul says, but now, but now, in verse 4, but God, and now, in verse 13, but now, the turn is happening. The good news is on the horizon. Here it comes. This is the glorious reference to a change that is made in our position with each other and more importantly with God it is the gateway to news that God has worked in his grace to change our standing to rescue us from being far off and to bring us near in Christ Jesus our Lord church you were once far off enslaved to sin, deserving of eternal wrath, and without hope. But now, you have been brought near. This is good news. Look with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And just as there was two layers to being far off, there are two layers to the Gentiles who were in the flesh being brought near. The first is membership and adoption into the church. The good news is that the new covenant had been made between God and His elect people in Christ. In this new covenant, all who are a part of God's elect are brought near, are restored to fellowship with God because of what Christ has done, and as a result, with God's people. This saving, this covenant this unity and how we define this people God's elect is what we call true Israel see while God had a covenant for temporary blessings and curses with ethnic Israel 
all those who are a part of God's elect are saved in Christ, in the new covenant, are brought near in that they are a part of what we call true Israel. This is the covenant people of God who are not just temporarily His, but are eternally His. It is those God committed to save in the covenant of redemption that was made before time began. It is all past, present, and future who are saved in Christ and by His completed work. This is the reconciliation we have in being brought near because of the gospel, because of the new covenant. So while the Gentiles, all those who were not Jews, were far off in the old covenant, we've been brought near in the new covenant. We are true Israel. Much of which includes many ethnic Israel, Jews, True Israel, the eternal people of God, comprised now of Jews and Gentiles. In other words, comprised of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is really talking about membership, about adoption into God's family. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will. The term adoption used in Scripture in this context means we're formally, legally, completely members of the eternal family of God. See with me all that Paul has in view here. We are brought near by the blood of Christ. We now belong. But it's more than just belonging We are heirs and participants in His glory. In our adoption, we're brought into His favor, into His blessing. And we enjoy a restored relationship with Him forever as the objects of His electing love and saving grace. Romans chapter 8, 15-17 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. We who are redeemed and adopted into God's family call God Father because He's our Father and we are His children. Consider with me the the beautiful gift it is to be legally adopted by God the Father. Think about that. The God of the universe. The ruler of all things. The great and mighty I Am is our Father when we belong to Jesus Christ. Paul is really going to drive this point home in the coming verses of chapter 2 that we'll see in the coming weeks. But look with me just for a moment at some of this emphasis uh, in verse 17 through 19. Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. He, speaking of Jesus, came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access In one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Wow. Praise God. We're no longer spiritual orphans, slaves to sin, without hope, without a spiritual family. This is a huge blessing to us who are brought into the family of God, the church. I want you to really appreciate what God has done to not leave you alone in your sin and guilt, but to forgive you and adopt you into His family so that you are sheep that now have shepherds who lead you and love you and teach you and hold you accountable to not stray, but to remain faithful, to remain accountable to the flock. In His bringing you into the family of God, you have brothers and sisters who are not temporary means like your blood family, but are blood-bought family who are an eternal means of unity and love. See that sin separated us on the horizontal from others. The, the, the first sin, Adam and Eve, what did they do? Right away, they covered themselves. They hid themselves. There was judgment. There was fear. There was separation from each other and from God. But in Christ, we're brought near. Brought near to each other. This is a huge blessing, church. Let us never lose our utter gratitude and appreciation for what it means to be truly a part of the family of God. Let me ask you, in what ways are you guilty of taking this for granted? In what ways are you guilty of acting on your own, being wise in your own eyes? Being okay with just being distant. The unity and the belonging that we have in Christ to each other is so good for us. Romans 12, 4-5 For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I know this is a very unique season we're in church in this pandemic, this virus, we're physically separated, but we are one in Christ. We are a part of the family of God. You belong. We have been brought near this hasn't changed. This won't change and must not be forgotten. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.9 that we need to stand firm in our faith knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. How true is that for us today? Hold fast. In faith, knowing who we are, our unchanging membership in the eternal family of God. You belong. You are apart. Even when we might be physically apart. 
Oh, I pray this is good news to your soul, good reminders to recenter us in the joy it is to be belong in Christ. Paul says later in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Church, we are called to one unified body by which one all-powerful Spirit empowers us to one eternal hope. Not many hopes. Not, not many ends. Not many ultimate satisfactions and joys. One hope. We have one glorious future made possible by one Lord who gives one faith and one baptism to the one God who is Father of all and over all, who is at work through all and in all, who He is called. This is us. This is the horizontal blessing of being brought near. Maybe practice the one another's. Be faithful to walk together. Now, our being brought near is not just horizontal, but it's also vertical. We're united to each other only because we are united to Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be united to Christ? To be reconciled because of Christ? The twofold reconciliation is made possible and complete by the blood of Jesus. Our being brought near to each other and to God. Look at the second part of verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not only are we separated from each other because of our sin, we're separated from God. He who is holy cannot, will not compromise his holy perfection to fellowship, have true union with sin and sinners. So the price of our rebellion must be paid if we're going to experience atonement and reconciliation with God. What is that price? Scripture is clear. Blood. Blood symbolizes life. To be without blood is death. The penalty of our sin that must be paid, according to Scripture, is death. So death must be paid so that forgiveness of sin can happen. So that reconciliation can happen between the sinner and God. To see what God has done to save us and to bring us near by the blood of Christ, we must see how the old covenant pointed to the new covenant. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 9, 19-28. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. In the Old Covenant, church, the, the, the priest was instructed to sacrifice the spotless animal on behalf of the people. The animal dies as a substitute in the place of the sinful people at the hands of the high priest. But this was only a temporal redemption, appeasement for those under the Old Covenant who were promised temporal blessings and appeasement with God. Why? Because not any blood would do. Only the blood of Christ that is brought forth in the new covenant brings the elect of God, past, present, and future, into eternal reconciliation with God, now and forever. Notice how the author of Hebrews says the old covenant included things that were copies of the heavenly The types and the shadows that all point to the antitype. The real and lasting sacrifice, which is Jesus Himself. Only Jesus could make an offering with His blood that was complete and lasting. Not having to be done again and again as the old insufficient system required. This is the final and full way that God is bringing near His elect through the blood of the only one who could pay for all our sins, past, present, and future, Jesus Christ Himself. The blood of Jesus was necessary if we are to be redeemed and brought near. Hebrews 9.22 is clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Romans 3.25 tells us that God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. You simply will not appreciate the fullness or the weight of this truth unless you see the depth of the grace and the love of God and what He did to pay for our sins. Romans 5.8 God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God shows His love. This is how He brings us near in the most amazing way. The blood of God the Son in our place. Church, we were dead in sin. Enslaved to sin. Actively sinners. We didn't contribute anything. But here's the good news of grace. We didn't have to do anything to get cleaned up first. No, while we were His enemies, 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you listening to this message today, thinking you just have a little bit longer to get your act together, to stop these different things by which you sin so that you can approach the throne? You'll never be ready. Nothing you bring is worthy. You are desperate for Jesus alone. Today, repent of your sin and trust Jesus as Lord and be reborn and be saved. Oh, I pray you see this. Because because when you do, it will wreck you and cause you to trust in Him and praise Him with all of your life. You will stop making it about you. You'll stop making it about your horizontal circumstances. And it will be all of Christ and all of grace. 1 John 4.10 In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does to be the propitiation of our sins mean? Is he substituted himself in our place. He died to pay the penalty due us for our sin. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place. This is what we call the atonement of Jesus. This is what propitiation means. Propitiation is the the righteous wrath of God that is due our sin, is appeased by a suitable offering in our place. Propitiation is the appeasing or the averting of God's divine wrath and anger. It is only the work of Jesus' perfection taking our wretched wrath on Himself that makes it possible for the justice of God to be met and therefore the forgiveness of God to be given to us. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says it like this in an article I read that he wrote, Propitiation is used in the New Testament to describe a pacifying, a placating, an appeasing of God's wrath. The easiest way to remember the term is is that in propitiation, God is made pro-us. Propitiation has a relational component to it. Christ's death not only removes the moral stain of sin, it removes the personal offense of the sin on us. This is how He drew near, drew us near. See, See it with me in the most amazing way. The God of the Bible is not appeased by a bribe, but by... His own blood. Oh, it gets better. Not only did He take on our deserved wrath, but this means that I receive His righteousness and therefore am declared righteous and justified in God's eyes. Romans 5.9 says that we are justified by His blood. The blood of Christ in our place is so key. The Last Supper, Jesus gives us instruction as to how we, the bride, the body of Christ, the church, are to remember Him, or to testify of what He's done, and tell the story. We do this by celebrating the Lord's Supper until He comes again. 
In Matthew, we read Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Ethnic Israel and all who obeyed the old covenant had a favor and a blessing with God, but only in temporary ways. The new covenant is solidified in Christ's blood. This is how all of God's elect, both Jew and Gentile, past, present, and future, are brought near, reconciled to God now and forever. Church, see the power of the blood of Jesus. See His sacrifice of atonement and the price He paid to bring us near. Look with me at verse 13 again. Let's climb into a key application of this this morning. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are no longer far off, no longer excluded from God's people, no longer blind to His truths, no longer separated from Him or His people. We have been brought near to each other and to God. We've been brought in, adopted, reconciled, redeemed to God's family, Because of the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus in our place, the propitiation of Jesus to appease God's righteous wrath due sin, we are now in Christ Jesus. I want us to see the beauty of this truth. Salvation is not just a single event in the road of life that you experience and then move on. No, it is a complete new birth. What was originally born in sin, dead in sin, separated from God, was very far off. But in Christ has been brought near. So near that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. This transformation is total rebirth. This is what stands Christianity and the true gospel apart from any other man-made religion. You are truly born again. The old self is dead. The new person in Christ is born. In Christ. Let me remind you how I spoke to this recently. Throughout New Testament Scripture, we see examples of how we are in Christ. How Christ is in us. And we see this here, how we are in Christ. And this is such a central and vital part of who we are as Christians that Paul speaks to our union with Christ over 164 times in his New Testament writings. In this, Paul's lifting high and loud. Why it is such good news to be united with Christ? He's constantly driving this point home. So I believe the the Lord wants us to really get what it means to be in Christ. Consider with me what we've seen just yet far in this letter alone. Ephesians 1.1 
Paul is writing to the saved saints who are in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, Paul emphasized that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.4, the elect were chosen in Him, in Christ, from eternity past, before creation. Ephesians 1.5, we are predestined for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.7, we are redeemed in Him. Ephesians 1.11, you have obtained an inheritance in Him. In Ephesians 1.13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in Him. Ephesians 2.5, again he says we're saved and made spiritually alive with Christ. Ephesians 2.6, we see that we're raised and seated with Him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.7, we know the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He's prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And now today in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's no denying that all of these things I just mentioned, all of these great gifts, greater than anything else we could ever receive, all of this most vital change of our identity, of our position in eternity, is absolutely dependent of our union in Christ. To be saved, we need all of what Christ is in His righteousness and none of what we are in our sin. Christ alone, perfectly, completely satisfies God's holy standard for us. I want each of you who belong to Christ through faith and because of His grace, to see how absolutely and completely united with Christ you are, how life-altering this news is to all who are saved in Him. When you get this, you'll stop saying me and my and, and focusing on, on yourself. and you, You'll stop focusing on others and what, what has happened or what is happening and the circumstances on the horizontal. Why? Because you understand who you are in Christ. Because your identity is fixed in Him. Your hope is fixed in Him. Your motivation is fixed in Him. So we stop saying me and you. We start saying Jesus. When you run into that crossroad, you look to Jesus. You rest in Jesus. You speak the truths of Jesus over that situation. That you would go forth in Christ and not compartmentalize Him and, 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 and have the knowledge of Him in your head, but not in the application of your life. Oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. Church, see with me today how absolutely clear Scripture is to show that the saved Christian is always and fully connected to Christ. And without Him, we have nothing that is good for life with God. Especially life with God for eternity. Ephesians 2.13 is truly good news. It's not up to you to perform. You are desperate for Christ. And Christ in you to be saved. And every day God gives you under the sun. If you are listening to this today and you are still Lord of your own life, you are still saying, here's how this will happen. Here's the way I will go. Here's the way I will think. Here's the things I want to do. 
You're trying to do it your own way. Trying to earn your own way. Trying to figure out your own way. You can't. You must confess your sin and trust your life to Jesus completely for salvation and every moment you live from this day forward. Christian, is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? I want you to really think about that. Are you standing in Christ Or are you trying to figure it out on your own? Is your hope for temporary things? For fleshly appeasement? Or is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Do you not trust in the sweetest frame, the sweetest things, the best things of the temporary, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ is the solid rock we stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. Pray with me. Father, we are desperate for You to move these truths in and through us. That we would not just be people who understand in our head, not just be people who hear these things and maybe even count them as good, but they... They mobilize us. They transform. They they bring true repentance and sanctification and, and trust in You despite what we're facing, going through. What a gift it is for we who are once far off to be brought near. Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the grace of God. Oh, you are worthy to be praised. Worthy to be trusted. That we would walk by faith and not by sight. Hear us now as we sing and contemplate these truths and look to put them into action today and each day you ordain for us under the sun. And again, for anyone who is still blind and deaf, dead in sin, make them new, Lord God, by your grace, that they repent and believe in you and are born again for the glory of God and our eternal good. In Jesus' name we pray.